Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. First off, it's important to note that the title of today's movie is a little misleading. Jumping to the closing voiceover at the end of the film, they call this story the beginning of the end of the fall of the Roman Empire as corruption begins to rot Rome from the inside. But it really just seems to be a sensationalist title to help sell tickets, in my opinion. As the opening voiceover does correctly state, the fall of Rome was not an event, but a process. Our story here today begins in 180 CE, as Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius leads his legions against Germanic tribes near the Danube River. Marcus is played by the great Alec Guinness, the original Obi-Wan Kenobi for the uninitiated. And using these conflicts is a good choice. For about 14 years, ending in 180 CE, Rome fought a series of wars against the Germanic Marcomanni tribe and other tribes near the Danube in wars called the Marcomannic Wars. In the aftermath of their victory, we see Marcus Aurelius musing that Rome has existed for a thousand years. This is only a small exaggeration at this point. The beginning of the Roman kingdom we've mentioned before was 753 BCE, so 933 years earlier. Marcus tells his main general Livius, a fictional character, that he wants him to be his heir instead of his son Commodus, who he says is only interested in games and gladiators. Livius doesn't like this idea. He says he and Commodus are like brothers. And Livius later tells Commodus, played by Christopher Plummer, of the emperor's wish when they are drinking together, and Commodus is not pleased. We also learn that Livius is in love with Commodus's sister, Lucilla, played by Sophia Loren, who is a historical daughter of Marcus Aurelius. Lucilla, not Sophia Loren. Meanwhile, men loyal to Commodus plot to kill an already ailing Marcus Aurelius before he can publicly declare Livius to be his preferred heir. Commodus has no knowledge of this plot, and we again see a contemplative Marcus philosophizing to himself before he eats a poisoned apple. He's actually renowned for his philosophy. You can read the book of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius in print to this day. It's actually one I really enjoy and have given on several occasions as a graduation present. The emperor dies, and even though Livius knows he was the preferred choice uh, to avoid chaos, he openly declares Commodus to be undoubted Caesar. In return, Commodus names Livius commander-in-chief of all Roman forces. Unfortunately, Lucilla is married off to the king of Armenia to secure a political alliance, a deal that had already been struck by her father. The kingdom of Armenia was larger than the current country that bears that name, but in the same region. And a quick fact here to tie us into last week's episode, Armenia was the first nation to declare Christianity its official religion in 301 CE. The movie throws in a line here where Lucilla has servants preserve her father's meditation in case Commodus might have them destroyed. Indeed, we see Commodus being rather brash and open about undoing his father's work. He demands more resources and taxes from the provinces in the east, despite warnings from his advisors that it could lead to revolt. Commodus seems uninterested in this and basically says that they revolt, they'll be destroyed. Time passes and Commodus grows more and more unpopular. The east does revolt, so Livius is sent to deal with them. He discovers Commodus' sister Lucilla and her husband are helping to lead the revolt. In the battle, Lucilla's husband is killed and Livius wins for Rome, but he then refuses Commodus' order to execute the thousands of prisoners. 
He even has the messengers from Commodus who brought the order arrested. Once back in Rome, Commodus tells Livius that he's been declared a god and that he's granted the Senate's request to rename Rome the city of Commodus and the empire of Commodus. Livius then threatens to bring his armies into Rome to seize control, but he is arrested and Commodus bribes the army to stand down. Lucilla is also captured and she is chained with Livius in the public square along with dozens of other political prisoners. Commodus comes out with a torch, seemingly to set them all on fire, but in another moment of hubris, he challenges Livius to one-on-one combat. Livius wins, and Commodus' last words are, burn them. Livius runs to rescue Lucilla, but the other prisoners die in the flames. The general on the scene there proclaims Livius now the new Caesar, but he turns it down and walks away as nobles and senators flock around the general to attempt to bribe him for the crown. So again, as the closing voiceover then explains, this was the beginning of the end of Rome as corruption starts to rot it away. So how close did they get it? Actually, not horrible, but definitely with some key additions and omissions. First, Marcus Aurelius did die near the Danube during his campaigns against the Germanic tribes. He fell ill, quickly declined, and died, but there's no reason to suspect foul play, though I suppose it can't be ruled out either, technically. As to the succession of Commodus, it may be that Marcus recognized that Commodus was unsuited to rule, but he also knew that naming someone else could spark a civil war, and Commodus had actually already been co-emperor with his father for three years at the time Marcus died. He was just 18 years old when he became sole emperor of Rome, and ultimately, real life wasn't as dramatic. I mean, there was a lot going on, but yes, Commodus was a sort of megalomaniacal nut, but there was no one specific direct challenger to him. Remember, the Livius in this film was fictional. The one exception probably was his sister Lucilla, who we see in the movie. She was, in fact, involved in a plot to assassinate her brother just two years after their father died. It failed, and she was exiled and later executed when she was in her early 30s. Basically, Commodus wanted other people to do the work while he got all the glory. He seems to have been ruthless and incompetent while remaining popular with the people and the army as he always put on a great show of power. Hmm, maybe I'm on to something here. He was born into wealth and privilege, actively sought to undo the accomplishments of his predecessor, and valued spectacle over substance. He put his name on everything and always had to be the center of attention. Reminds me of someone, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Hopefully I'm way off base, as historians, including the revered 18th century historian Edward Gibbon, who wrote The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, do agree with the movie's assertion that Commodus's reign was the beginning of the end of Rome, though it would be another 300 years before the last emperor of the western half of the empire gave up his throne. Ultimately, his enemies were successful and Commodus was strangled to death while in the bath by an assassin with the most fitting name of all time, Narcissus. Narcissus had been Commodus's wrestling trainer and partner. In the aftermath of his death, the Senate immediately claimed Commodus to have been an enemy of the state and took down all his statues and renamed everything back to what it had been before. Though chaos then reigned, after Commodus's death came the year of five emperors. The Pax Romana was over. I do want to talk more about Commodus' father, Marcus Aurelius. So, a major theme in the succession of Roman emperors that we don't see in the monarchies of, say, Britain and France is adoption. Julius Caesar adopted Octavian as his son. Octavian, now Augustus, in turn adopted Tiberius. And this was more common than not, though often due 
primarily to a lack of legitimate sons of the emperors. The emperor Antonius Pius had two adoptive sons who served as the first co-emperors after his death. These were Lucius Verus and Marcus Aurelius. Marcus was held in high regard and outlived Lucius by 11 years, so sorry Lucius, no movies about you. Marcus's daughter Lucilla was married to Lucius until his death. Marcus fits the role of the philosopher king. His particular brand of philosophy is known as Stoicism, which basically says one should be calm, rational, and in control of his or her emotions at all times. Think of the Vulcans in Star Trek, and there's your Stoics. I really do recommend picking up a copy of Marcus Aurelius' Meditations if you are so inclined. It's kind of neat to think you're getting life advice from a Roman emperor who died in 180 CE. I do want to share my favorite line, which is the last line in the book. And No spoilers to worry about. It's not a story, just philosophy. He's talking about the idea of being upset at the end of your life when you'd rather go on living. And this is from the translation by GMA Groob, which I prefer. He sets the limit, who was at one time the cause of your creation, and is now the cause of your dissolution. You have no responsibility for either. So depart graciously, for he who dismisses you is also gracious. And I'll go on record and say that I want that and the larger passage it comes from read at my funeral. In 2101. I have a lot of work to do still. A few other little notes. The film leaves out the three other daughters who outlived Marcus Aurelius and the eight other children he had who died before him. We hear some typically Roman things we've discussed already. SPQR, a reference to the boatman of the River Styx. Decimation is mentioned. I don't think we've yet talked about the standards with golden eagles at the top. This is called an aquila. Basically just a battle standard, but very important to the Romans. The 2011 movie The Eagle is about a Roman officer trying to track down a lost standard. Now, the elephant in the room right now, for those of you familiar with it, is... Wait, isn't this an awful lot like Gladiator? Yes. Yes, it is. So, what's funny is, I intentionally excluded Gladiator from my official list because, sorry to say, Maximus, played by Russell Crowe, is fictional. Which means most of the plot didn't happen. So I instead chose The Fall of the Roman Empire, which I had never seen. But, as I've mentioned, Livius is fictional too, and basically serves as the Maximus role. In fact, the two films have enough in common that I almost feel Gladiator cheated Fall of the Roman Empire out of a writing credit. At least with respect to a couple of the details at the very beginning and end. So let's pretend this is like Hero, and look at a third version of events with a quick rundown of Gladiator, the 2000 Oscar winner for Best Picture. It opens the same way with the battles against the Germanic tribes. Like in the fall of the Roman Empire, we have a Marcus Aurelius telling his top general he wants to name him heir instead of Commodus. This time it's Russell Crowe's Maximus instead of Livius. But again, in reality, Commodus was already co-emperor with his father at the time. In fact, after he was elevated to co-emperor, Commodus also served as consul at just 15 years old, the youngest ever in the position. Funny to think, when Pompey we discussed before, 250 years earlier, had to get a special decree to serve as consul because he was only 35. Changing times, but also, I suppose, nepotism at its finest. Anyway, in Gladiator, they have a jealous Commodus kill Marcus Aurelius while they're alone together upon hearing he won't be a successor, and everyone just assumes Commodus is now the emperor. Maximus is ordered to be executed but escapes, unbeknownst to Commodus. He rushes back to his family in Spain, worried Commodus will have them killed too. We see a long but urgent horse ride back. He even takes two horses so they can take turns sharing the load of his weight. But just how far was this? 
Well, Maximus tells Marcus Aurelius that he's from Trujillo in Spain, and we know that they are camped near Vindabona, where Vienna, Austria is today. Well, depending on your route, that's about 1,500 to 1,700 miles, and let's give the horses a fairly generous 60 miles a day. That means it probably took Maximus about 25 days to get home in this movie. But I suppose I understand the movie not wanting to show him stopping to grab a sandwich on the way. He's too late, of course, and finds his farm burned and his wife and his young son dead. While passed out at the graves he dug for them, he's captured into slavery, which seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Like, I get if he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, but were the slavers so bold as to capture a farmer right off his farm? So he's taken to Zucabar in North Africa, which the title card incorrectly calls a Roman province. It was Roman, but just a city inside of another province. A lot of this script just seems to have chosen what felt right over what was right. And another example right here is as we meet the slave traders, one mentions how much he paid for a Numidian slave. Well, they're in the Numidian region. So if the slave trader is from Zucabar, that'd make him Numidian himself, right? Anyway, I really don't need to nitpick this part, I suppose. But this city definitely doesn't seem to have been the vibrant hub that the movie makes it out to be. Maximus is used as a gladiator, though he refuses to fight at first in practice, but once in the arena, he quickly becomes the most famous gladiator in the region. Back in Rome, we do see an Emperor Commodus, who is accurately portrayed as having no interest in day-to-day governance. We meet some senators, but they are all fictitious. Indeed, a large part of the plot here centers around the idea that Marcus Aurelius wanted to return Rome back to a republic, and later that Commodus is debating dissolving the Senate altogether, but this all seems to be fiction. It is worth noting that Gracchus, the main senator to challenge Commodus, is played by Derek Jacobi, who starred as Claudius in I, Claudius, the miniseries from the 70s. In his appeal to win over the people, Commodus has declared that there will be 150 days of games to honor his late father. This brings Maximus and his new gladiator friends up to Rome to be part of the entertainment. Now we do get into some cool references here. First, Maximus meets Lucilla's young son, who says his name is Lucius Verus, after his father. And this, again, was the co-emperor who ruled with Marcus Aurelius at the beginning of his reign, though the movie fails to mention that detail. The emperor Lucius Verus and Lucilla did have three children, including a son that was named after their father. Though the boy died young in real life, it it is possible he could have still been alive here, but he would need to be at least 11, not 8, as his father died 11 years before. Also, Lucilla remarried immediately after the death of Lucius, and her second husband outlived her. We see the gladiators, none of whom have ever been to Rome before, in awe of the Colosseum. It's said to have seated at least 50,000 people. It would have been right at 100 years old at this time, and the movie does a great job of recreating it in its full glory. Sadly, the top portion missing, that as, as we know it today, is from later builders using the stadium itself as a quarry for other projects. Maximus and his band are to be on the losing side in a reenactment of the Battle of Carthage. The announcer at the Coliseum explains to the crowd that this was the second fall of Carthage on the barren Zama plain with Rome against Hannibal. Historians use the name Battle of Zama, not Battle of Carthage, but it was the final battle of the Second Punic War against Carthage in 202 BCE, and Carthage was led by Hannibal. Hannibal is most famous for having led war elephants across the Alps and into Italy at the start of the Second Punic War. Also correctly, the announcer says that Rome was led by Scipio Africanus, considered by some to be one of the greatest generals in world history. So if you're keeping a tally, historically speaking, I'd say the three biggest takeaways from Gladiator are Rome fighting Germanic tribes, 
Commodus Board and Senate meetings, and Scipio versus Hannibal a long time ago. But, of course, Maximus is able to lead his team to a rewriting of history. Commodus and his nephew Lucius go down to greet this mysterious masked gladiator who everyone calls the Spaniard. Commodus notes that Lucius insists he's Hector Reborn. This is a reference to the character in the Iliad. We saw Eric Bana play Hector in Troy, a mighty warrior who could only be brought down by Achilles himself. This is when Maximus reveals himself to Commodus, who thought he was dead. Okay, I promise I really do like the movie Gladiator, even though I've been picking on it, but this moment highlights one of the two major moments for me that could have made the whole movie way better. It's been, what, months, maybe a year tops since Commodus last saw Maximus? Commodus ruled for 12 years after his father's death in real life. Why not use that? It would be a different movie, but how much more badass would it be if he thought Maximus was dead for a decade before this reveal moment occurred? The second major moment is a deleted scene that absolutely should have been left in. So we see in the movie Commodus telling Lucilla how upset he is that he wasn't told Maximus had escaped. Then there's a deleted scene on the DVD where Commodus has those who withheld the information executed, putting the soldiers and general performing the execution through quite the ordeal as well. It's less than three minutes long, there was no reason to take it out, and when we get to the end, it's the main thing that explains the general's and soldier's unwillingness to help Commodus. Anyway... The rest of the film was Commodus trying to figure out how to dispose of the super popular Maximus without turning all the people against him, all while Lucilla is trying to figure out a way to free Maximus and put him in a position to overthrow Commodus. It's not important to detail it all out here, as none of it happened, even though I guess I just detailed my problems with the filmmaking, but hey, it's my podcast. For the final conflict, Commodus stabs Maximus in the back while he's chained up, then fights him in the arena. Commodus would, in fact, fight in the arena at times. Again, he loved spectacle. Shoot, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Commodus, you'll see a statue of him wearing a lion skin holding a club. At first glance, one might think, oh, cool, a warrior emperor dressed for battle. No, this is a jackass who commissioned a marble statue of himself dressed as Hercules. Anyway, Maximus wins, so they both die. The end. Again, I really do like Gladiator. It's dark, it's action-packed, in a way that doesn't feel outside of the story. Great acting, great music, etc. I just feel it could have been even better. In addition to Best Picture, Gladiator won four other Oscars, including Best Actor, Russell Crowe. It had 12 total nominations. Standing out for me is Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus. He's wonderfully wicked and nuanced. The Fall of the Roman Empire did receive one Oscar nomination for his score, which also won the Golden Globe. It does have a 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, though with only 11 votes. The audience rates it at 69%, so not bad at all. If you're looking for more options, I did stumble across a Netflix documentary series on the life of Commodus called Roman Empire, Reign of Blood, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. A few final notes on Rome, though really we've only just scratched the surface. The alphabet we use today is called the Roman or Latin alphabet. It evolved itself, of course, from older sources, but the fact that we use it today is a testament to Rome's vast influence. Rome revolutionized infrastructure to help maintain its empire, Massive aqueducts brought water into the city. They had built over 50,000 miles worth of roads by the time of Commodus. All roads lead to Rome, right? And the arch. Rome didn't invent this technology, but they took it to new levels. You see arches in much of their architecture. It's easy to take arches for granted, but the simple physics is that an arched bridge, for example, is far stronger than its flat counterpart. So after spending the last month in the Roman Empire, it's time for us to explore other parts of the world again. Next week, we'll return to our friends in China, less than two decades after the death of Commodus, as the 400-year reign of the Han Dynasty is about to come to an end. 
My boy Tony Long from Hero stars in the 2009 John Woo epic, Redcliffe.